And the practice of gratitude leads us to talking about a plethora of things. And one of those is beauty. We've talked about that in our previous episodes. And so today I just wanted to dive a little deeper into how gratitude and beauty and graciousness all connect. Sometimes the story we tell ourselves is not really true. Sometimes the story others tell about us is not really true. Here on today's Heart Lift with Janelle, we are going to learn how to rewrite our story. So pick up your favorite pen and journal, grab a cup of something delicious, and start your heart-lifting journey towards living a meaningful life. Hello and welcome to today's Heartlip with Janelle. So happy to have you here on this journey of practicing gratitude so that we can experience more joy. This beautiful more series is increasing my joy on a daily basis. It seriously is. I guess I took this gratitude challenge to prove to myself once again that the experts are all right. When we practice gratitude, it increases our well-being. It just produces more joy. And I like to add a deeper contentment with the current state of our life. And if ever we needed this, we need it now. We are in a global pandemic that just is not going away. And we're approaching a new year, and we're all wondering, oh, with a little bit of hesitancy, what does 2021 hold for each of us? And so I thought, what a better time to really push, <laughs> to, use, to use a strong verb, to push and prod and plead with my community and myself to practice more gratitude. And the practice of gratitude leads us to talking about a plethora of things. And one of those is beauty. We've talked about that in our previous episodes. And so today I just wanted to dive a little deeper into how gratitude and beauty and graciousness all connect. For over 25 years, I was a professional speaker. I was a Bible teacher. I traveled the world teaching and speaking and leading conferences, workshops, keynoting events, talking anywhere and everywhere I could. I love to talk, as you might know, and I did lots and lots and lots of retreats. And then after the publishing of my first book, Rock Solid Families, and I've shared this before, but I wanted to reiterate it to kind of give a framework for what we're going to talk about today I met hundreds, if not thousands of women who would wait in line for a very, very, very long time to talk to me, to have me pray with them. And I felt so humbled and honored and so touched by their, what is the word, their their deep cry for more. 
That's really the only way to explain it. Their lives were unsatisfying, discontenting, unhappy, and they were seeking and desiring and hoping for more. And so after that, I just thought, I've got to get more training. So I went back to school, 50 years old, all the birds were flying away from home, and got my master's in counseling. So that has all led me to where I am today. But all those years of speaking and teaching and sharing and leading and writing my own studies increased my life in unimaginable ways. And so I have this huge, actually I have two huge, big old plastic bins that are just filled to overflowing with huge notebooks of study and research and thoughts. And they're all significantly and strategically written about topics that I needed to know more about, that I might have needed in my life at the time. And they are also filled with my very own everyday epiphanies that I had over a span of 25 years, and particularly 14 years when I was homeschooling my children and raising my children. And I just would hear those whispers from God, and I just had to write it down. So if I've ever had any doubt that I'm a writer, I can't doubt it anymore, because I have to put these everyday epiphanies down on paper and create resources and write books and share what I'm learning. So that's the evidence of a teacher as well. So one particular study that I dove deep in was called The Hand That Gives a Rose. And it all started, oh dear, do I even know how that started? I don't know. But after studying and researching and learning about the power of a smell. Oh, I'm having a little epiphany right now. I studied a lot about the power of the sense of smell back in the day when I wrote The Hand That Gives a Rose. And now I'm a certified practitioner in Aroma Freedom and utilize therapeutic-grade essential oils in helping people overcome trauma. Wow, I love, that's a thread that I didn't even... (laughs) really recognize until right now. How cool is that? I guess that's my epiphany today, that God has been working in my life in these constants, and He always has a plan and a purpose for wherever we are, for whatever we're doing. Nothing's wasted. Nothing is wasted. That That's for somebody today. I want you to know, my friend, that nothing is wasted. When you study the rose, I, I actually think I know how this study started. It was from a Chinese proverb, a bit of fragrance always clings to the hand that gives you roses. That's one interpretation. There are many. Another one just says a bit of fragrance always clings to the hand that gives a rose. One is singular, one is plural. But did you know that Homer wrote in the Iliad that Aphrodite anointed the slain Hector with rose oil? Did you know that another ancient myth relates the story of a young girl who presented the goddess Venus with some lovely roses? When an unsightly disease threatened to mar the young woman's beauty, the goddess prescribed an application of roses. And of course, 
As the story goes, all was well. Alice Morse Earl writes, The fragrance of the sweetest rose is beyond any other flower scent. It is irresistible, enthralling. You cannot leave it. I have never doubted the rose has some compelling quality not shared by other flowers. It is a symbolic flower. It really is. Cleopatra supposedly entertained Mark Anthony in a room filled. Okay, if this is true, (laughs) this beats The Bachelor or The Bachelorette. This beats any Hallmark movie, love story, etc. Supposedly, she entertained Mark Anthony in a room filled with 18 inches of rose petals. That's a lot of petals. And the sails of her ship were soaked with rose water so that the very winds were lovesick. Oh, that's so awesome. In the 1300s, Queen Elizabeth of Hungary, whose beauty ritual included quantities of rose water, was at the age of 72 able to successfully woo the King of Poland. I think that is just so cool. This study is bringing back so much joy to me, and I hope that it's bringing some joy to you. One rose characteristic which most people come to expect is its fragrance. Watch someone walk by roses in full bloom, right? Our local Lidl, or is it Lidl, L-I-D-L store, they always have the most beautiful roses, and they are offering them at an amazing price that I can hardly walk by without picking up a dozen roses. Sometimes they're half price for $4. And so I can't resist them. And just watching them unfold before me is a lesson in mindfulness. It's an exercise in peace and presence and rest. You know, when you walk some when you watch someone walk by roses in full bloom like myself, first there's an exclamation over their color or beauty. But inevitably, the head will bow in expectation of that special scent we've come to expect. As my daughter wrote in one of her beautiful essays, roses aren't supposed to smell bad. Something to that effect. I can't even remember it. But it was like, you know, roses are expected to smell beautiful. You know, but sometimes people walk by roses and you may be one of them. And I'm probably been one of them too. When I'm just too busy, I'm in a mood. I see the line that has 15 people in it that I don't want to wait in. And I just walk in and I walk out and I grumble and I mumble and I say, ah, sometimes we miss the beauty. Sometimes we miss the fragrance of a beautiful life because We're rushing. We're too busy. We're too selfish. We're preoccupied with what's next, what's next, what's next. Hey, I've been there. I'm still there. I still have to practice gratitude, which increases my capacity to be more present in the moments of my life. Friends, this is not easy. This practice of gratitude It is a discipline. Oh, we don't like that word, but it really is. And I've been privileged of late to be in a beautiful course by poet David White. I've mentioned it 
and he's offering another one Sunday course or essay or talk or lesson or whatever in December. And I'll put all that information on our private community on Facebook, Stronger Every Day. But David White always talks about his great friend, Irish poet, John O'Donohue. And in his book, Beauty, which I've been reading to you from, John O'Donohue writes this about graciousness. So we're going to settle in for just a few moments on this word graciousness. Because studying gratitude, as I said earlier, leads us down a path of seeing beauty. And then when we see beauty, it really does soften us. It tenderizes the hard places in our hearts if we are open to it. That's a caveat right there. He writes, graciousness dignifies human presence. And when it is present, it brings out the best in people. Okay, you know I had to go look up graciousness. This is a new study. If I were to rewrite The Hand That Gives a Rose, which it seems I probably will be doing because this study on gratitude, it's really got me. It's hooked me. And I believe it needs to be written about more. So I am sensing a book project or some writing about this topic on a deeper level coming. But graciousness dignifies human presence, and when it is present, it brings out the best in people. It opens a perspective which enables us to see the gifts that we have. It creates an atmosphere which awakens nobility of mind and heart. And nobility of mind and heart is that magnanimity that we've talked about in earlier episodes, that greatness of mind that possesses souls and makes us more resilient and more powerful in our lives. A gracious mind has compassion and sensitive understanding. It is without greed. Rather than concentrating on what is absent or missing, okay, this is a lean in here, it is able to celebrate and give thanks for what is present. And that, my friends, that is a a mic drop because in the life and the work of a heart lifter, which is what we have committed to in this community, being heart lifting people who create safe spaces and places for people to gather and to be authentic and to grow and feel safe. That's a noteworthy concept. Gracious, when you look at the word, it means marked. Oh, marked by kindness, courtesy, and benevolence, which benevolence just means you're giving out of the goodness of your heart. Now, I need the study. I need it. My husband just had surgery on his shoulder this morning, and this is a long journey. He had the same surgery on his opposite shoulder last September. So that means Janelle becomes driving Miss Daisy, driving Mr. Reardon for six weeks and taking care of him. And this time it's his dominant arm. It's his right arm, his right shoulder. And so I'm going to need to grow in my graciousness, in my benevolence, in my kindness, in my courteousness. 
man, these things are not easy. They're easier for some of us than others. Some of us are just born with a more gracious DNA disposition. Some of us are not. And so we have to put in a little bit more effort in that category. O'Donohue continues in his book, Beauty, graciousness is a quality of mind that does not separate truth and beauty. Talk of truth always make it, makes it sound as if truth were the cardinal virtue, yet without beauty. Now look, look at how he integrates for us graciousness and beauty, and he does talk a lot about gratitude, but today we're focusing in on beauty and graciousness and having a hand that gives a rose to everyone in our sphere of influence. Because the hand that gives a rose, a bit of fragrance always clings to your own hand. You cannot outgive God. You cannot outgive yourself. We talked about this with the, the beautiful story of one out of 10, when the 10 lepers were healed and only one came back and said, thank you. And he received a double blessing. God will bless us when we have this beautiful, gracious, kind, benevolent heart towards those in our lives. Yet without beauty, he writes, truth becomes blind and can be turned into a blunt and heartless imperative. When we hold beauty and truth together, truth will always have a sense of compassion and gentleness. So see how he asks us to hold truth with beauty. And then beauty involves cultivating, right? Cultivating a fragrance in our lives where we emit graciousness, benevolence, kindness, thoughtfulness, goodness. So good. I'm going to jump jump down to where he writes. His subtitle here is Beauty Avoids the Siren Call of the Obvious. Oh, no one, no one speaks life like a poet, right? They can just bring out the most beautiful combination of words. Beauty avoids the siren call of the obvious. My side note here is you have to look. Depth calls to depth. In the Bible, the the psalm says deep calls to deep. The experience of beauty has, for the most part, a particular force. It envelops and overcomes us. Yet there are times when beauty reveals itself slowly. And this is the teaching moment here for us today. Sometimes we rush past the roses and we don't stop and smell them. We don't stop and experience their beauty. Today, in my ordinary grocery store, I walked by the floral department. And, you know, it's it's Christmas time here in the States and the amaryllis, what do they call them? Amaryllis? Is that right? That sounds like the name of a city. Amaryllis, the beautiful red Christmas flower that starts as a bulb and you wait and you wait and you wait and you wait. Well, there were two plants there that were bursting open. All the rest were still bulbs and still in their tight bud, but these guys were pressing through cardboard 
you know, stuff that's stuffed into those beautiful plants. And they were just calling out my name. And I walked by him first because, you know, my husband just had surgery this morning. So I wanted to rush on home and make sure he was okay. But then I had forgotten to get something. So I went back in the store. And the second time I thought, Janelle Rarden, stop. I took out my camera. I appreciated this beautiful amaryllis that was just opening up with such grandeur and beauty. It just took my breath away. Sometimes beauty reveals itself slowly. There are times when beauty is shy and hesitates until it can trust the worthiness of the beholder. Human culture seems to build its temples of meaning in the wrong places, in the garish marketplaces of transient fashion and public image. Beauty tends to avoid the siren call of the obvious. Oh my goodness. Away from the blatant center, it prefers the neglected margin. Beyond the traffic of voyeuristic seeing, beauty waits until the patience and depth of a gaze are refined enough to engage and discover it. In this sense, beauty is not a quality externally present in something. It emerges at that threshold where reverence of mind engages the subtle presence of the other person, place, or object. The hidden heart of beauty offers itself only when it is approached in a rhythm-worthy of its trust and showing. Okay, really lean in here. Only if there is beauty in us can we recognize beauty elsewhere. Beauty knows beauty. Wow. In this way, beauty can be a mirror that manifests our own beauty. This has little to do with narcissism or self-absorption. I love that he puts this in here because we talk about that so much here. Self-care, self-love is not being a narcissist. It is valuing your dignity. It is knowing your purpose. It's belonging to God and knowing that he breathed into you your breath, his breath. To achieve a glimpse of inner beauty, he also calls this the inner kingdom. I love that. Strengthens our sense of dignity and grace. The glimpse ennobles us. I got loud there. Sorry. It helps awaken and refine our reverence for the intimate eternal that dwells in us. There is beauty in every life, regardless of how inauspicious, dull, or hardened its surface might seem. Oh my gosh. I'm going to stop there, but I hope that you, that that just invited you to take pause in your life and understand the power that beauty knows beauty. And that what we're talking about is, is a spiritual secret in the hand that gives a rose, this beautiful study that I wrote decades ago, actually. The subtitle was Spiritual Secrets of Successful Leadership. It was a leadership course. And the hand that gives a rose was about, was the second secret that the hand that gives a rose, a bit of fragrance is always going to cling to that. So when we 
bring a fragrance of graciousness and beauty and love and kindness and benevolence and thoughtfulness into our spheres of influence, the diffusion of that is remarkable. It's remarkable. And I always taught in the study that when you walk into a room, what fragrance are you emitting? Now, you know, I I love my therapeutic grade essential oils and I have diffusers everywhere. I don't always use them like I should, but when I do, well, I was just at my daughter's for Thanksgiving in St. Louis and she had a diffuser going and I, and I couldn't see it. But when I came in, I was like, what is that smell? I, I couldn't see it visibly with my eye. She had it kind of tucked away. And she had the beautiful scent of Christmas spirit going. And it was just cinnamony and clovey and just lovely. And it just, it uplifted my spirits because we know the sense of smell goes directly into the limbic system. And it has a tremendous affect on our emotional state. So the fragrance of a rose, what are we emitting into the atmosphere of our relationships, the atmosphere of our homes, the atmosphere of our workplaces, of our schools? Love this. What is the spiritual climate of your life? I found this fact out in the cultivation of highly scented roses. The amount of fragrance is determined by three distinct factors. Sun, soil, and pH level. Somewhere between a 5.8 and a 6.3 is the perfect pH for beautiful roses. And oh my goodness, on my trip to Kenya in 2015, I had no idea that Kenya was a significant producer of roses. And they brought us dozens of roses to take to our women's retreat for our special mamas. And oh my goodness, they were so beautiful and so filled with fragrance. It's amazing. So they must have a perfect pH there. So sun, soil, and pH, and adequate water. Climatic conditions must be right. So as I continue, keep thinking in your mind, what fragrance do I admit when I walk into the room? What is the spiritual climate of my life? Is it filled with sun, right? Am I getting a lot of light? Is the light of God coming into my life, the light of his word coming into my soul? Am I in the proper soil? Am I in good, fertile soil? Is my pH level right? It's not too acidic. It's not too alkaline. Am I adequately watered, right, by the water of the word? Rose fragrance will be strongest on warm, sunny days when the soil is moist because that is when the production of the scent increases. When additional moisture is present, the scent ingredient in the chloroplast increases. Phenomenal. Which adds more potential fragrance. I just love that so, so much. So I just want to close today, as you are thinking about those questions that I've asked, what fragrance do you emit, emit, E-M-I-T? Is it the fragrance of beauty, beauty of the soul, the beauty of your heart, the beauty of your mind, the beauty of your words, the beauty of your presence? And what is the spiritual climate that you're finding yourself in now? My goodness, guys, we are in 
a global pandemic. I have not been in a church gathering since March. Now, I am worshiping at home, but it's not the same as that corporate worship. I understand that. So that that means we have to be more vigilant in our own worship. We have to be vigilant in our own study. We can't depend on our pastors to just feed us or our Bible study teachers or our small groups. Whoever, we have to feed ourselves. We have to take care of our soil. We have to make sure we get great sunlight, adequate water, and that we're not too acidic or too alkaline. That's good. What is the spiritual climate right now in your life? Is it something you need to spend a little bit more time on? You need to slow down a little bit on all the other things so that you can make sure that you're planted and rooted in really healthy, fertile spiritual soil so that you can emit and grow an amazing rose for the world to breathe in that world that you have living in your home and at your workplace. So I'm going to close with just a a beautiful reading from Ruth Chow Simon's book, Beholding and Becoming, given to me by a beautiful friend, The Art of Everyday Worship. And I want so much for you to really try to find just a quiet place. And if you're driving, you can come back to this or you can just put it on anyway. Just don't close your eyes. But find a quiet place. Find that bench somewhere or find a seat on your front porch or your back porch or in a park or on your walk. Maybe this is a walking meditation for you. And just let these words soak over you. Ruth Chow Simons is an artist and an artist of words and beautiful illustrations. Her book is just stunning. She writes, What we choose to repeat at home, practice within our families, and speak about daily directly affects our knowledge of the presence of God and our ability to recall God's faithful works. God's greatness and great story of redemption doesn't just appear within our families by default. It is made known in and through us by deliberate praise and practice. Deuteronomy 6, 10 through 12. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob to give you with great and good cities that you did not build and houses full of all good things that you did not fill and cisterns that you did not dig and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. And when you eat and are full, then take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. God instructed his people to persevere in their work at home while keeping their eyes on their future home. They were to recount and rehearse the faithfulness of God presently in every way possible with those in their care so that they and their children would remember to give God the glory when he brought their journey to completion. 
When we point to Jesus continually with our praise and our practice, and I add our practice of gratitude, we make it known that it is God and not us who saves and rescues us from our heaviest burdens. Mother Teresa famously said, if you want to change the world, go home and love your family. If you want to change the world, Go home, my friends, and love your family. I am just going to stop there. But as we close, I'm going to read Deuteronomy 6, verses 10 through 12. And I just want you, in Lexio Divina fashion, to just meditate soak, think, pray, listen, maybe once, twice, three times. Just let these words soak over you like a beautiful rain. Let's just take a big, deep breath. When the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give you with great and good cities that you did not build, and houses full of all good things that you did not fill, and cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant, and when you eat and are full, Then take care, lest you forget the Lord, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. When you eat and are full, take care, lest you forget the Lord. What whispers are you hearing? What are you seeing in your mind's eye? My dear friend, may this week unfold before you like a radiant, beautiful Kenyan rose. And may it fill your life with such a beautiful fragrance that beauty stops you all along your path. And let Please share, let let me know what you see, what you're hearing, what you're thinking. Join our community, JanelleRairdon.com. There's so much goodness going on there. And if you would be so kind, benevolent, gracious, (laughs) please subscribe to the podcast. It's on so many formats, Google Play, iTunes, Spotify, and leave a review. Your reviews make such a difference, and it increases the capacity of this podcast to reach more. Oh, we want to reach more. We want more influence. We want everyone in this world to have a healthy sense of self and have healthy behavior patterns and healthy communication skills so they can lead a meaningful life. Take care. And until next time, remember, always remember, you have value worth, and dignity. Thanks for listening today. It was great having you here. For even more great content and resources, 
Please join the Stronger Everyday online community at JanelleRairdon.com. Always remember, you, my friend, have value, worth, and dignity.